Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to part two. I wanted to keep this series going. Jen, later or last week in her children's message, talked about Jesus multiplying the loaves. And so I want that to be the scripture reading for this morning. Jen spoke from John's version. I'm going to read from Mark's version. So it's Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And if Eric worked his magic up there, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. But let's read. It says, The apostles gather around Jesus and report to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of him. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. But this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Lord, we thank you for your precious word and words of life. Help us to read it and study it and teach it and share it. But above all, Lord, help us to live it. Help us to learn about you and love you and love you enough to obey what you say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite verses of Jesus, because it opens up all the other things, is Jesus said in Mark chapter 4 that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now think how exciting that is. Because we know that in the same way there are secrets in the physical world, that if you can get understanding of those principles in the physical world and apply them consistently, you can get consistent results. You'll notice that every time you start your car or a plane takes off or you turn the lights on, if you can harness, understand and harness the secrets of the physical world, you can get transformative results. I am convinced the same is true in the spiritual world. And Jesus is saying this good news is there are secrets that my Father has built into the spiritual world and you don't have to go walking in the dark trying to figure them out. I am going to reveal them to you. Right? In the same way, if we can understand them, if we can apply them, we can get transformative results in the spiritual world. Now, I am not talking name it, claim it. I'm not talking success in a worldly uh, perspective. Who would ever want to just settle for that? What I am talking about is the greatest success for a disciple of Jesus Christ that we can continue to be sanctified, conformed, transformed into his image, that we can gain greater intimacy and knowledge of Jesus and grow in our love towards him. Right? And so I want to share this morning a principle of spiritual vitality, a vitality in general, and then a four-step process that Jesus gives us from the reading we just had. 
Okay, and the principle is this. A principle of vitality is when there's a balance between what's going in and what's coming out. Right? That's just kind of a, a principle God has baked into the physical world. Right? Nature is healthy when it has this balance. I remember being in Christian graduate school, and they told us the difference between the Red Sea and the Dead Sea was this, that the Red Sea takes in fresh water, and then it has an outlet for fresh water. So it receives, and then it distributes, whereas the Dead Sea only takes in. And because it takes in, because it doesn't dispense what it has received, it stagnates and dies. And that's the nature of spiritual burnout. You can be going to church every week, taking in, taking in, but not giving away, not distributing, and there becomes this spiritual stagnation that's the equivalent of a sea where nothing's living in it. Okay? We know that in our own bodies, right? In, in, in the most visceral act of all, the act of breathing, it is this balance between we inhale and we exhale. Now, you didn't know Dr. Bob was going to be here. and He's probably saying it's a little more complicated than that. But this is as far as I can understand it. But even in physical health, we are told what? You need a proper diet. That's what's coming in. And then you need exercise. That's what's going out. It's that balance, right? In the spiritual world, it is to take in, to receive, to learn, and then to do. It is to obey. And that's vitality. One of my spiritual heroes is Mother Teresa, and she said that her whole ministry is this, what comes in goes out. Okay, now think about that. I had breakfast a couple weeks ago with a business executive who actually lived in Calcutta with Mother Teresa for several months. And he told me this story, now this is him, he's telling me the story that Mother Teresa took him to this home for developmentally disabled children. And there were hundreds of them in this home. And she asked the leader, how's it going? She said, well, it's going pretty well. The problem is we need to separate the big kids from the little kids. Because the big kids are too physical with the little ones. And if we had a house to separate them, that would really help. Mother Teresa said, is there a house available? She said, there is one down the street. It costs $250,000. Now, this is like 30 years ago in Calcutta. So Mother Teresa said, let's go pray. He was assigned to watch the kids. He was wishing he was called into the prayer at this point. But his job was to watch the kids. Somebody came and said, there's a man at the gate. He goes out to the gate, which he said was really just like a barbed wire fence. And the man said, I'm with the Kennedy Foundation. And Mother Teresa has won our annual award, and I have a check for $250,000. Okay? Is she available? The guy said, I think so. <laughs> now, so he brings her out. Now, this guy's standing, having breakfast with this guy. He's standing there. And then Mother Teresa looks at the check, says thank you, and gives it to the woman, says, go buy the house. Now, what is amazing about that story to me is not simply that the money arrived. I know God can do it, but that Mother Teresa just turned it over. Because I think if it had come, I would have said, now, we've got to make sure this is what the Lord wants. You know, I can give you a little bit, but he probably wants me to keep some of it to do what I'm supposed to do. Right? But that vitality, if it comes in, it goes back out. It keeps things alive. Now, we see this again and again in the ministry and the life of Jesus. Luke says this. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. So he's out there in the day. He is pouring out. He's emptying himself. And then he goes to be with the Father. And he inhales. And he takes the Father in. Right? Mark writes this, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. 
The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So Jesus is drained from this healing ministry, right? And, and Mark says something fascinating to me in Mark chapter 7. They, they bring to Jesus this man who is deaf and mute. And here's what Mark says. Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. See, I'm, I'm struck by the deep sigh. So it's almost like Jesus going, oh. I mean, I think we forget that this is real stuff. This is visceral. Don't sanitize the scripture. Jesus isn't just waltzing around healing people. Each healing cost him something. He, he is having to, to generate this, this healing spirituality and then give it away in the same way if you do something physical, you're exhausted. Right? That's why last week I gave the verse of the woman, the woman with the bleeding, touches him, and he says, who touched me? Because Mark says he felt healing power go out from him. So this ministry of Jesus, even when he's succeeding, even when he's healing people, it's utterly draining him, and he's got to go be with the Father. He's got to inhale that which he has spiritually exhaled. So how do we do that? Okay, how do we do that in our lives? I believe Jesus has given us a four-step process. In the verses I read that if we employ this, you will have spiritual vitality. And I, it's all in verse 41. I'm going to move quickly through this, but hopefully it might intrigue you to go deeper with each one. Verse 41 says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So the four steps are to take, to receive, to give thanks, to break, and then to give away. Okay, so let's look at the first one, to receive. I hope that you, as a, as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, are in constant receiving mode. Right? Because God wants us to receive all that he puts around us, right? That's why he made nature beautiful. I mean, he made the sky blue. Right? He, he wanted to fill things with beauty. I hope that, that you are living with that switch turned on that said, I don't want to miss a shred of beauty that my father has put around me, right? Whether it is a sunset or whether it is a, a, a lake or it is a flower or it is the rainfall or it is going to the mountains, whether it is the, the beauty of art or the, the majesty of music that we are as disciples of Christ saying, I am up every morning, I'm going to receive all the Father has for me, right? That we are in a mode of continuous learning. One of my favorite quotes is, when you're through learning, you're through. That we always want to take in and also to appreciate people, fellowship and kindness and appreciating. And Jesus was in receiving mode. We know clearly the foundation of his work was, was sacrifice and emptying himself but he also loved to receive. He loved going out for dinner. He went to Zacchaeus' house. He went to Levi's house. He enjoyed, he seemingly really enjoyed when people were nice to him. Okay? One of the, one of the great examples of that is this woman comes to Jesus and she pours this expensive perfume all over him. I think they said it was a year's wages and she dumps it on him. And people are repelled by that and say, what a, what a waste that money could have been given to the poor. And what does Jesus say? Leave her alone. 
She has done something beautiful for me. The woman comes to him and weeps and washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair, this lavish display. And Jesus says, thank you. Your many sins are forgiven. Your love has healed you. You received. My wife Carol and I had the great opportunity to receive from the McDades last night. John and Tess and Joseph invited us to their home. You talk about receiving. From, from the beauty of the Mohawk River to a, a, a meal that we are not worthy of to grand fellowship. It was just take in, take in, and you, you realize, oh, I can't pay this back, but you don't have to. Just receive it, and what a gift it was. The only disappointment was my wife loves guitar music, and she really wanted Joseph to wail on that guitar. But I just got too sleepy, so she has to come back for that one. But I've learned that's a key to City Mission. When I went to City Mission 27 years ago, I, I was called to give, and I felt that was going to be the unilateral reality of my ministry, that God had given me gifts, there were people who were needy, and I was going to go and pour out on their behalf. And part of that happened. The other part that I had no clue was going to happen is how quickly God taught me, I also sent you here because you're needy. Because you're thirsting, because you have holes and gaps and fears and doubts, and the very people you've been called to minister to have ways to heal you. And boy, has that happened. How much I have received from the very people I was sent to go serve. And it's the key to volunteering at a place from the mission. Almost every volunteer comes wired to give. I believe where burnout comes in is when people aren't wired to receive. Okay? That you have to go to a place like the mission and every day ask, Lord, what do you have for me today? What am I supposed to learn? Because not only does that open yourself up to God, but it gives incredible dignity and value to the people you're there to serve. That we are not in a vertical relationship. We are horizontally side by side, each with gifts, each with needs. And the essence of relationship is when those come together and we lift up each other. That's where vitality comes in. Okay, so receive. The second one is give thanks. Now, I am absolutely convinced that gratitude is the foundation of spiritual vitality. When gratitude is embedded into our hearts, it is transformative. But I think to thrive, to have an abiding spirit of gratitude in our lives, which are tough. All of our lives are tough, and they're filled with loss and, and heartbreak and fears. I believe the key is you got to every day hit reset on what is the starting point of this day? What is my baseline for what I'm going to encounter today? Sometimes I think we're not grateful because our baseline's off. I, I, I'm on the board of an investment company. And here's what I've learned about people when they have stock investments. The number they always remember is the high watermark. Okay? They don't really remember what they started with. They remember how high it once was, and if it's lower than that, that's what they compare it to. Right? Well, that's okay with investments. But with Jesus, what is the starting point? It's zero. I have claim to nothing. It's, it's all gift. Every breath is gift. I, another lesson I learned, when I first went to the mission, one of the things that was almost sinking me and burning me out was we would do this meal for the community, okay? So we would cook this free dinner, right? And, and volunteers would come and serve. And guess what? People would complain. 
hot dogs? I don't like hot dogs. And, and I would hear this and I would, I would, rath, I would, I would lather up. With, How dare you? You have no money. Other people have provided this meal for you. How can you possibly complain about what's being served? And I'm telling you, I'm not saying I heard God, but I heard God. <laughs> and the Lord said, you do that to me almost every day. You wake up and you open your window and it's raining and you say, rain? I got a picnic today. Snow? Cold? I have no claim to a day. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. It's sheer gift. It's total grace bestowed upon me. And my first reaction is this. Right, the baseline, it's, I don't think it's said any better in all of Scripture than in Job when he is hit with all these calamities. What are those, those great words? Naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job's strength of character was he understood his starting point. The other key thing on, on gratitude is the, the thief of gratitude is comparison. Right? How many times have you been really feeling good about what you've received until you went to somebody else's house? Or they pulled up with another car in their driveway, right? And you've got to watch out for that because the key to gratitude is this sense of the starting point of zero and God has chosen to do this for me and I don't have to rise or fall based on what he is doing with others, right? you can't stay vital as a disciple of Christ unless every day you're working on embedding gratitude into your heart. And the third thing they said Jesus did after he gave thanks is he broke the bread. And to me what that means, that is the liberation of humility. No one is in more bondage than someone who's trying to preserve their reputation. Those are the people it's fun to make fun of because they can't handle it. They're always explaining, always excusing how much more liberating it is to say, you know what, folks, I'm a jerk. Or I, I just, one, there was an expression we had in baseball that was life-changing for me was this, my bad. My bad. Another one was this, pick me up. So you'd strike out on your way to the bench. The next guy would come up. You'd say, pick me up. Okay? Pick me up on this. There is a liberation that comes in our spirit when we say, hey, I am broken. Okay? I'm saved by grace, and I'm working hard to do better, and I, I care about what people think, but I'm not going to live in bondage to that. And so if I mess up, I can, I can acknowledge it, or I can laugh with folks who are laughing and say, I'm not going to fall into the trap of taking myself too spiritually. It's certainly true with physical stuff, right? I don't know, I don't know anybody that's happy that's trying to keep all their stuff pristine. Those are the people, if you do this, forgive me, that use two parking spots at the mall, and they kind of go sideways so no one can be near them. That's not liberty. Liberty is you get in the spot, if you hit me, you hit me. I mean, my son worked very hard. He got himself a new car. After about a couple weeks, he said, Dad, I got dinged today. I said, good, now you can enjoy the car. Okay? 
admission, that's just called breaking in your car. Once you get a ding on it or a scratch, okay, now it's a mission car. Now you can enjoy it. Right? It is this breaking is to disavow the notion of ownership. It is to receive the gift of stewardship as opposed to the deception of ownership. Right? This can also apply, a couple times ago I spoke about aging. And I think it can apply in aging that even as our body breaks down that I don't need to be ashamed about this, that with spiritual vitality I can even make the breaking of my body an offering. And we're going to witness an amazing example that God gives us in nature. In the next couple months as we watch the trees display these spectacular colors, right? What is happening to the leaves when they get that beautiful? They are dying. Okay, the chlorophyll that kept them green and moist and rich through the summer has stopped flowing. Those leaves are dying, and yet God did something amazing that even in their dying, they would become more beautiful than they have ever been. And every time I experience autumn now, what I challenge myself to say is let the breaking of your body be that spiritually. And if you've ever experienced someone who lived that, it is as imprinted upon your mind as the perfect mountainside, colored as only God can color it. Right? The willingness to, to break. And that is the fourth one, to then give away, to distribute. Have you ever noticed it's easier to give something away that's broken? It's easier to share. To distribute. And I, I really don't want to talk too much about possessions. This church is generous beyond what I could ever imagine. You all need to keep on growing. We all do. But you're really good. I, I'm going to talk about one possession that at least I tend to hoard. And that's, that's time. Something we all have in equal measure. We have all different bank accounts. But we all have the same measure of time. We're each going to get 24 hours today. And so my struggle often is that I become possessive of time rather than being a steward of it. And so interruptions then when time is mine become just that. They're, they're interruptive and it brings out a part of me that isn't edifying to God. As opposed to the notion of God owning the time and I'm a steward of it where I'm kind of living in anticipation of the interruption saying that's what the Father wants to do. Never forget in this story of multiplying the loaves, that was an interruption. The disciples returned to Jesus. They're giving him great accounts of their work when he sent them out two by two. Jesus is celebrating with them. Simultaneously, he is grieving the fact that John the Baptist has been executed. He says what we like to say in our families, either in celebration or in mourning, let's get away by ourselves. Let's get away from the crowd. Let's just be amongst ourselves. Perfectly good and beautiful thing to do. And yet it says, when they got there, the crowd came. And in those amazing words, each writer who gives an account of this says, Jesus had compassion on them. So I'm sure he took a deep breath. I'm sure his first reaction, dare I say it, was, oh no. 
But then it was, okay, Father, you brought them. What can I teach them? Frustration was overwhelmed by compassion, and he worked that miracle. Spiritual vitality is gained in buckets when I don't try to possess my time. When I give it to God, I think a place like City Mission has really taught me that. There's this gal that used to live in our shelter, and she lives in public housing across the street, and um, Jesse and Liz know this story. She'll come to the window, and she'll yell, good morning, Michael. And a lot of times it's mornings that I got there early so I could stay at my desk. And the other morning she did, it was a particularly busy morning, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm, this is a confession, folks. But I better go down and say hi to her. So I made way, way downstairs. She had these outstretched arms. She's this broken woman. And she says, Michael, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And we just hugged. What a gift. Even Friday, a 94-year-old woman called me up, and she's a friend of the mission, and she says, I've got some shoes I'd like to donate to the mission. So I said, all right, I'll stop by your house. It's on my way home. And so I kind of, again, confession, folks. I kind of positioned it so I, I was going to say, maybe I'll even keep my car running. So I, it was Friday afternoon. <laughs> you know, I knew it was going to be a busy weekend. And I just wanted to grab the shoes and go. And I got there, and she said, would you like to come in? And I'm like, all right. And I remember just sitting down, and she's a widow now. And it became so clear, that sense of the Lord saying, this is your gift. Be present. Give her the best of your time. And it wasn't long, but it was invigorating, as opposed to sticking to my schedule. See, what happens then when we give away what we have broken, then we create space for the next receiving. Really, the essence of discipleship is I keep on making space for Jesus because Jesus won't fill that which is full. But if I dare empty the cup, if I show up with nothing but emptiness, filled again in the same way in nature it is vital it is fresh now I just gave you those four steps they build on each other right I receive by giving thanks and I'm willing to break and when I break I'm willing to distribute Jesus did the exact same thing at the Last Supper right what do we talk about what do we remember when we celebrate communion Jesus did what he took the bread he received the bread then what did he do he gave thanks even before his death. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said to them, now you do this in memory of me. You repeat the cycle until I come back. And Jesus knew that the discipleship would drain them, would cost them. He was asking them to make sacrifices they weren't naturally wired to make. But he says, I will keep you vital. You will draw ever closer to me if you discipline yourself to follow the secret of my kingdom, to receive, to give thanks, to break that which has been received.
and then to give away. Let's pray. Lord, you've made us good, but we have some instincts that are falling. Some of those instincts are we categorize people and say, you have nothing to give me. Sometimes, Lord, we receive without saying thank you. Sometimes, Lord, even worse than that, we receive and we don't think it's enough. Somehow you've fallen short. Lord, sometimes we are grateful, but we hold it and we try to keep it pristine and we keep it secure. Teach us how to break not only our things, but our own lives. Then, Lord, keep us that the essence of discipleship is not building up, but giving away. And that every time we love you enough and trust you enough to empty ourselves and get nervous that we're empty, you promise to come in and fill us again. And then, no matter what happens to us, we are truly vital. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for loving enough to reveal the secrets of that kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.